Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with sex therapist Lori Watson and couples therapist Dr. Adam Matthews. We're here to help couples keep it hot. You can find us on foreplayrst.com on the web. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, and we would love for you to listen to us and send us your ideas and your suggestions and your feedback. And we're just glad to hear from our listeners. We feel like this is such a fun conversation. Sometimes we're getting going these days beyond our little time limit and having fun talking to each other. And today we have a really interesting conversation, I think. It's one that I think too is a bit, maybe a bit controversial. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about spirituality and sexuality. Yeah, and lots of people have different ideas about what that is. This is dicey, walking onto potentially hallowed ground. Yeah, so... Wondering about the issues that sometimes that that brings up for couples in their sex life. Yeah. And one of the things that I notice a lot is that for the most part, when we talk about growing up, the ways that we talk about particularly religion and sex and the combination of the two, that Mm -hmm. for the most part, sex, we're trying to avoid sexual experiences. Right. Right. Many people with faith have like an instruction to avoid sex before marriage. Yeah. And I would just say as a sex therapist, you know, I think it's a really frightening thing for somebody to come to see a sex therapist, any counselor. Yeah. You know, they want to make sure that they're the same faith or, you know, that they share the same values. And I think that for me, I am just so respectful of people's faith and never, never want them to cross their faith. And so I'm always about finding healthy workarounds that honor their deeper moral beliefs and their faith, you know, because I think that's so important. You know, at Awakenings, where I work, we are basically about helping couples who are committed keep it hot. You know, we see other couples in situations Mm -hmm. and we don't have that. We don't lay on anybody a moral imperative or something. And and we're not spiritual counselors, but we really do deeply honor the faith and and moral practices and cultures because we see other cultures who oftentimes I see a large population of Indian couples from India who, Mm. you know, are virgins at marriage and that's completely outside of their culture to have any sexual experience whatsoever before marriage and so we're not we're we're not not changing culture that's yeah that's what i was just about to say like we're not advocating for you to change your beliefs um around that because in any faith there are ways for sex to be 
um, whole and healthy. Yeah, and yeah. healthy. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. But I think that one of the things that I see is that there's a switch that goes off for people that's difficult, is that if they have been raised in a faith tradition that says no sex before marriage, that you then get to the marriage ceremony and in the course of one ceremony, it goes from being a no-no to yes. Yeah. And then, now they're on the superhighway. Yeah. And so the expectation... Full stop to full go. Yeah. And I think that expectation can be really difficult for some people to make that switch in their mind. Right. Um, and, and, to, and Adam, this is why I became a sex therapist. Really? This, this dilemma is what brought me to sex therapy. I started my career as a marriage counselor and a counselor, and I taught premarital class in a really large Christian church. And I taught that for seven years, multiple times a year. And I saw so many young couples coming back with sexual problems that I thought, wow, this is an important specialty. But one of the central problems I saw was faith-filled kids coming back with conflict over Mm -hmm. their sexual adjustment in marriage. Hmm. Because that adjustment is difficult. And Sex has to be intentional in that way, and so then they're conflicted because what was once preached to them, don't do it. Now they're trying. They're trying now to find a healthy to way it. to do it. Yeah, and so I saw these kids, and I thought that there were so many conflicts present. Some of these kids with faith decided, okay, we're going to toe the line, and we are not going to have sex before we get married. And the solution that they had to that was to be sexless in their dating life and in their engagement, Hmm. you know, to draw a really tight line about sexual contact. Hmm. And other kids crossed the lines that they felt were their faith lines, and they had wild sex. And then some people struggled somewhere in the middle of that. Hmm. And I also got to witness the outcome of all of those choices on the other side of the altar, yeah, you know, the many variations on that and how that impacted their marital sex. Yeah. What were, do you think that some of the ways that it manifested itself in their, in married sex? Well, what were the problems that yeah, emerged out of that? That's, that's a good question. One of the things that I saw was the couple who shut down completely and said, you know, no sexual touching, no kissing, no passionate kissing, because that's just going to get our bodies going and, you know, they had absolutely a shutdown. Unfortunately, at the altar, many of them, you know, obviously I, I have a skew, right? I'm only seeing the ones that are troubled. But many of them did not have a turn on at mm. the altar. Yeah. And so they came into the honeymoon, the marriage, with little information because they didn't want to read things that might turn them on. So, so they didn't even have a working sense of what sex would be like. Hmm. You know, they, they didn't know how to manage virginity, yeah. you know, and their premarital counseling, their pastors hadn't talked about that. I did in my class talk about, you know, the switchover and, and what sex would look like, but it wasn't enough. It was an hour class, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's not enough education. So they didn't read the books that we recommended. They didn't have a talk with anybody. They hadn't gone to the gynecologist. I mean, it was just a train wreck in terms yeah. of the complete shutdown and, and they had conquered their impulse by muting their desire. Oh, yeah. And and then they were like, okay, desire didn't turn back on. It's like, well... well it's not, and it's not a switch, right? Like it's not a switch. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and even though intellectually they had permission to be sexual, they somehow or another were not entering it with joy. Mm. You know, and I I found that many times there were earlier problems. I mean, that this rigidity Mm. that they had about it was signifying other problems inside that were rigid. If it didn't, you know, if it wasn't a couple who made that decision, and I'm saying, you know, I'm not saying that that couldn't be possible, that they couldn't shut it down, be very tight before marriage, and then have a, have it turn on. I think that that's a possibility. But what I saw was it didn't seem to work very well. They didn't seem to be passionate. And that was, I, I just saw, so problematic. And then there was the couple who compromised, who had sex, felt guilty all the time, had sex, felt guilty all the time, had mm. sex, felt guilty all the time. Frankly, guilt is an aphrodisiac. I mean, doing something naughty, doing something that is forbidden is exciting. Yeah. So they and, just felt like even married so, sex was. Yeah. Off then they're limits. married, and it's yeah. like, no, no. Then they were married, and it's like, oh, all that excitement is gone. Oh, I they're see. They're not yeah. doing the forbidden. I see. And, and so then they're like, now I don't know how to make it hot, you know, because uh. now it's all okay. Or some of them, like I think you were implying here, is. They would feel so guilty about their sin, about you know having mm-hmm. crossed these lines, that they could never forgive themselves enough to enter what they believed God had for them. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I think that that's what that's interesting is that what I have seen in a lot of faith traditions, their efforts at kind of managing sexual morals is to just not ever have conversation about it. Then just right. not it's an it's all off limits. And not you're not talking about sex in a healthy way. You're just not talking about sex at all, uh-huh. and trying to like the shutdown is really it, really tight. Yeah, really it's throughout mm-hmm. the whole group. And so I think that then you're looking at not just that, but then you just don't have any education about it. You don't know anything about it at all. You're almost entering it as a blank slate in in some in some sense. Yeah. And what do they do with their ideas in their head and their imagination? And I mean, some of them, I think. One thing that I saw the young couple struggle with was maybe in prior relationships, they had thoughts and ideas and stuff. But then once they were married, they said, you know, I can't, I can't think about anything. I just have to be satisfied with physical sensation. Like mm. They thought that it was strange, but they thought they had to turn their minds off because somehow or another, if they let their minds go in marriage, yeah. they were going to be diluting the purity of their relationship. And so, I mean, the issue is, I think we need our minds, especially as women, we need our imaginations and our minds working. And and I think, you know, I live in the South. I know, I mean, there's a lot of religion down here. Yeah. We are good Bible-thumping folks. And there's a lot of people that are anxious about using their imagination in sex, lest that lead them astray, right? Mm away from their faith, away from the boundaries that they have set. They, they're they anxious about that, but it turns out, for a woman especially, we need our mind clicked on. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you do that? Engaged. And one woman I know, she was just adamant that she couldn't fantasize about sex. She couldn't, because later she confessed to me, if I fantasize about sex, I'm going to think about an old lover. And that would not be thinking about my husband. And I want to be here and now with him. And so, you know, I just think that, you know, I was able to get her to kind of say, is there a way that you could 
fantasize about your husband in some expecting experience. You know, could you do that? You know, even that. And she could do that. You know, she's yeah. like, yeah, you know, I, I can do that. And that would be okay. Yeah. So we're really talking about the idea that faith and sexuality do not have to be mutually exclusive. That they, I, that they I don't can, think so. They can be in We can integrate those two things and still have really enjoyable sex lives, but we, we do have, but to there's look. conflicts yeah. often, especially at the beginning in faith couples who, you know, often they have to overcome hmm. in order to enter sex and marriage and have it really hot. Yeah, that's great. Maybe we can come back from the break and really talk about some really things that people can do to integrate those two things in their life and to help make that switch a little bit better. Okay, great. Them. We'll be back with Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy and sex therapist Lori Watson and couples therapist Dr. Adam Matthews. Wanting Sex Again How to Rediscover Desire and Heal a Sexless Marriage by Certified Sex Therapist Lori Watson. Each chapter is designed to fix one of the problems that cause low libido from early marriage through the childbearing years, even all the way through menopause. I've also had men read it and tell me that for them, it was the most hopeful thing they read about resolving sexual problems. Look for Wanting Sex Again on Amazon.com. You can also talk to Lori Watson for therapy in person or via Skype. I offer couples counseling and sex therapy, and I think about both aspects of the relationship, emotional intimacy and sexual technique and that combination together helps marriages be happy improve your sex and improve your relationship with awakening center for couples and intimacy find out more at awakenloveandsex.com and sign up for their next couples retreat weekend hosted by Lori watson awakenloveandsex.com awaken what's possible Hey, welcome back to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with sex therapist Lori Watson and couples therapist Dr. Adam Matthews. We are so glad to have you with us. We're talking today about spirituality, faith, and sex, and kind of some of the problems and how you get through some of the issues. You know, I think there is, just to say, I think there's a big cultural thing out there that says, you know, religion shuts down sex. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I hope that's not true. You know, I, I hope for many faith-filled, faith-filled people out there that they also get messages that their faith and their God wants them to have good sex, that it's something so important in marriage and such a blessing in marriage. And I think there are faiths that say that, but there are problems that happen with maybe distortions about what they've heard about sex in their faith. Certainly the strong messages about premarital sex, anti-premarital sex, and then making that sexual adjustment in marriage, that's a big, mm-hmm. we just talked about that in terms of how that's a big problem. Yeah. And you know, I, I think one solution that I was thinking of, and then I'm going to ask you for yours too, Adam, is yeah. you know, for the kids who go over their lines, yeah. you know, they kind of forgive themselves yeah. and then go on to have the glorious sexual experience that they could have in the marriage. So if if they're entering the marriage with a lot of guilt over their sexual history is finding out how to forgive themselves. And I would say too, for their partner to forgive them as well. 
Right. For that to be there, that to be a mutual experience of they can be starting fresh in their relationship. Sure, absolutely. I think that that is something that oftentimes doesn't happen, and there's often a that that guilt continues rather than them addressing it head on. Yeah, I, and I dealing saw with what is a young on. couple, and she was really angry at him. She said, "Well, you know, he had other premarital experiences that I didn't," and mm. she. Felt like somehow or another that made him bad or a bigger sinner or whatever mm. than she was. And it was like, well, you knew that before you married him. I mean, it, see, for me, I don't think she needs to forgive him for that. I okay. think in his faith, that's his standalone. Okay. You know, what he did before he met her to me is none of her business. That's mm. between him and his faith and whatever. I, I really don't think she needs to forgive him for that. I think that she was horribly judgmental about that, about sure. something that had nothing to do with her. I mean, mm. he didn't, in, in my mind, he didn't cheat on her. They weren't married yet. They weren't together yet. I, I don't see that as, I felt like that was her sort of taking the upper hand morally yeah. that said, I get to judge you because you weren't as pure as the driven snow as I was. But it was like she was holding it over him still in the marriage. I found it so awful. I do think there's a difference, though. I, I agree with you on the fact that if a partner is holding that as they are superior yeah, or as they are standing in judgment, I think mm-hmm. then I agree that it's not that that's not the correct way. I do think, however, that there is often um, an element of people of faith needing some kind of external forgiveness mechanism. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a way if it's done in a respectful way in partnered relationships that my partner can say, I know everything you did before you married mm-hmm. me. Right. And I know that for our faith, it was not, it's considered not okay. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to offer you forgiveness in a respectful, mutual way that we're going to forgive each other for whatever it was mm-hmm. sexual sin and non-sexual sin. And we're coming into this relationship on equal footing. I think if that can be done in a non-judgmental way in a non superior way, there's a mutual forgiveness there because we're saying that that sexual sin is not greater than the sin that we both had before we came or out. any sin. Hello, any sin, any yeah. fault, but any fault. I can see that Adam for some people it feels really different for me. Okay. I mean, you even said, you know, I know everything you did, and I, I'm just not sure that we need to share absolutely everything we did okay. before we marry. I mean, I think there's something that there are basics that need mm. to be shared, which are I was or wasn't sexual before okay. I met you, because there's risks involved in that, right? Yeah. I do or don't have STDs. But some people actually get together and never talk about their sexual histories. And for some people, their psyches are really fragile. And to know everything that your partner did before you met them, like almost becomes this screen in their head that they worry about comparison and all Mm. this other stuff. And I I don't know. I mean, I I feel a little differently than you do about this, I think. But okay, I think that's okay. You're standing from a different place, so (laughs) I can, you know, respect that. I think the the place that I'm standing from is more of one where it is done in equal, where two people have the maturity not to compare, not to judge Mm -hmm. what is what happened before. Yeah. Because I think that there are elements to that when we're talking from a faith tradition where you're trying to make that switch from going to being single 
to being married, from going to have to not consider most other people but yourself into considering somebody else. Sure. There is an element of which that for some people, and maybe it's, I think you're right that it's not for all people, but for some people holding that back, depending on what it was, that that guilt becomes internal and festers. Uh-huh. And if, okay. it, if they are... So if they feel like it's a secret, Yes, right? if, they, if they feel like... If they feel like if this person knew this about me, they would reject me. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where that become starts to become something that needs to get out in the open. Sure. Is, is sure. that if it, if it is festering, if it is, if you're scared that if your partner knew this about you, that they wouldn't love you anymore. And, and I think that there is a difference between secrets mm-hmm. and privacy. Okay. You know, secrets and what is our own history. Yeah. I mean. I think there's a difference there and there's a continuum and but I hear you if yeah. if one person enters the marriage in faith and is purporting to, you know, yeah, I had experiences but I don't want to tell you what and you know later on, well it was your cousin's mother's brother, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that probably needed to come out, you yeah. know. Certainly there are certain times that that would that kind of revealing or yeah. confession and offering of forgiveness and yeah acceptance uh, might be another way that maybe I would put it. Yeah. Acceptance. That's, I think that's good. And I think where there is shame over those acts that occurred before marriage, I think I'm a fan of Brene Brown's work on, on this. And one of the things that she talks about, about dealing with shame is that it is that you're able to talk about it with a trusted other and that to, the, to bring it to, to the bring light, it to right? Light. To yeah, bring absolutely. It out so that so that that isn't dark and festering, like you said. Yeah, and so I think maybe that's the distinction that I'm okay. making. There is that. that if there's if there's a shameful element to your sexual history for you, then mm-hmm. that and that's what I think happens with a lot of a lot of faith traditions is that stuff we did before marriage, sexual acts before marriage, become very shameful. And that 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 creates a difficulty in the marriage relationship later on, because then I think sometimes it can get tied to all sexual acts, then become shameful. And we're not able to escape from the shame in the marital relationship. And I think even the kids that I saw that had sex before marriage and they didn't think that they were now somehow or another, some of them found the one direction of, okay, now there's not the titillation of the forbidden, Mm. but others of them had the attached shame of every time we do this, it reminds us of what we shouldn't have done. And that flattened their desire and their arousal. Yeah. So yeah, I understand that. That's, that's good. Yeah. What else do you think that couples of faith could do who maybe particularly are making the marital adjustment? Yeah. I think, I think one of the things is that just as there are maybe cultural myths that a cultural at large have about sex, I wonder about faith myths that develop in in the context of mm-hmm. religion and faith experiences that that particular faith may not hold to. I know for I grew up in a Christian faith tradition as well, and that there mm-hmm. were a lot of uh, myths about sex that just permeated that culture. That that the more that I explored faith, I found that those were not true. They, um, they weren't necessarily a true part of the faith, yes. but they were part of maybe the more religious that's right myths that had developed around it uh-huh yeah and so i think possibly exploring those what are the things that our faith really believes about sex and what are just myths that grew up as a yeah. result of Could being involved in the religion Could you give an example of one that you had heard oh yeah heard of i'll give one that's pretty common in more our more conservative tradition that sex is not for pleasure and that sex right. is just for reproducing 
right? right? And so, like, and I think the more that I've explored that, I don't believe that that's really what the Bible teaches about sex. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you had parents who conveyed. That's right. Um, within your faith, the same faith as your parents conveyed a pleasure model mm-hmm. that they enjoyed each other sexually. But you're saying that like kind of around the edges of the teaching, there was yeah. something missing mm. about sex being joyous and pleasurable and good in yeah. and of itself, that it was purposeful, yeah. maybe for procreation. Or that you just, it's its shameful to talk about. Yeah. Like, that you uh-huh. don't talk about sex. And so I've seen couples that they don't talk about it with each other. Right, because it's they've never had an experience, yeah, and that of goes it. way beyond faith, right? Yeah, no, sure. I mean, I mean that's lots of people. There are lots of people not talking about. There's it. lots of people, but I think within you know faith traditions that you just don't even mention the way that you're abstinent, that you stay away from it, is that you just don't have any conversation about it is going to lead to promiscuity, which I think we've talked about before. Yes, and know. and I think there's one of the things that I saw was the kids who came into the sexual experience so naive. And I do counsel a lot of fundamentalist Christians and, as I said, culturally, uh, people who have been abstinent, is that they, the faith kids have an experience. They have a belief that Mm -hmm. I do not believe is driven by some sort of scriptural text, that if I obey all of these rules and and I don't cross any lines, then I am promised an easy fabulous sexual adjustment. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. You know, that sex is going to be glorious from the get-go, and they don't realize that they're beginners, that they're Mm -hmm. starters, that sex has a lot of working out, and there's a lot of education to it. And like you said, there's a need for communication, a a need to develop an erotic language with Mm -hmm. each other. And those things they haven't had modeled, they haven't had talked about, they don't know. And what I've seen, which is really tragic, is these kids almost have a crisis of faith right after marriage because they're like this is it this is the big deal Mm. you know this isn't fun we we barely know what we're doing it's Mm. not really that hot and and i thought this was this glorious thing that i've been waiting for and god has let me down and you know i mean it takes a lot um to kind of help them understand oh no 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 this is a process and yeah it's learning for many people sex in the beginning yeah it's kind of clumsy and it may not be that exciting, and you don't know what you're doing, and you know there's a lot to be said. Mm-hmm. I, I would say if I could go back and help these couples, I would really offer them. There's got to be you know texts, books that are within your faith that you could mm-hmm. reference before you marry, even if you're reading them separately. Or, I mean, there's got to be a way to get education mm-hmm. about what this sexual experience is and what to expect and. Definitely go see a gynecologist or a sex therapist about mm-hmm. talking about some of the mechanics of it, mm-hmm. how to make it better. I mean, one of the things um, that we do is in sex therapy is we talk to virgins about how to make it not so painful, mm-hmm. you know, or not painful at all. Yeah. And it may mean not sex on the wedding night. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many people, I think that's a cultural expectation as Absolutely. well as a faith filled expectation to consummate the marriage on the wedding night and many times they don't know what they're doing she's not aroused she's anxious it hurts like crazy he doesn't mm. know how to stimulate her because he's so naive they're tired from they're exhausted yeah. you know and it's like and maybe you know no alcohol because of their face <laughs> yeah, so there's right. nothing that <laughs> you know mitigates kind of anxiety yeah. yeah and so one get 
some good education. Talk to your gynecologist. Talk to a, a trusted therapist. I had at one point a blog that was written on, it was called First Love, which was basically the steps of what you can do to take for a virgin to have a non-painful stuff. And I'm going to write that again. So I'll I'll write that out again. But one, maybe don't have sex that first night. Really get to know each other's bodies, touch a lot, learn to become aroused. And for males in that, I think that's a, a good point of being going really slowly, a really understanding, getting education about the female body, about how to be respectful of her and to do that in a way that is satisfying for both of you. Like I think a lot of times males that are entering into that from a faith tradition are looking for that are putting a lot of expectations on that first night. And that first night has to come soon. And we're when men partly we're getting married so that we can have, we can have sex, you know? And so we're, we're getting into that quickly. And then that has to be, if that doesn't, if that's not a fulfillment, then yeah, that's that crisis of faith. That's like, what are, what are we doing? Why, why are we doing that? And so really understanding what you're saying there about that it will be painful the first time or it can be. And so wanting to go slowly. Um, but and you can imagine you... the virgin woman too. Yeah. I mean, I hear it from women as well. The same crises of faith. Like yeah. they have this experience. It hurts them. They're not aroused. They don't have an orgasm. And then they're like, okay, well that that's, I waited for this. Yeah. You know, this is not so great. And there, there isn't this buildup and I, they don't know what they're doing. And I, first of all, to all of you out there, if you're stuck in this place, We want to encourage you that sex can be great and sex can grow and develop. And I would say one question I have from couples of mixed experience, but same faith. So maybe one of them comes in with premarital experience and the other doesn't. And they're like, okay, you know, I had these experiences and I know sex can be hot and great and it's flat. Mm. with my partner because she doesn't know anything and she doesn't or he doesn't know anything sometimes it's reversed you know and I have all these ideas that I want to try but they're kind of nixed that's one of the things I I think of in terms of what I hear around the edges that well we don't do that because we're Christian mm. we don't do that because we're you know Christian or whatever or you know that that's outside of the faith and it's like I I don't really it's not my understanding that the texts themselves actually had a, have a lot of prohibition within marriage of what you should do in bed, right? Is that- yeah. Well, and I think that I was actually going to mention that. I think one of the things that you can do as well to, is to really go back to the scripture of your faith and really read it honestly. Mm-hmm. Read it honestly for what does it talk about 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 sex and what are really, like you're saying, what are the what does it say? Um, and being honest about that and not listening to just what has been the faith expectation that, that you've grown up with and begin to kind of integrate it that way. Cause I think for the most part, people would find that there is a, that there's a allowance for a difference. That, the, the difference. Yeah. Yeah, difference. yeah I, I will say I saw a young woman once who had never had an orgasm, had been having sex with her husband for 12 years, three times a week, no orgasm. And she oh, was like, goodness. You know, I love him. It feels good, but I just there's got to be more. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, honey. There's a little bit more, and masturbation was outside of their yep. tradition. I mean, that was very forbidden. So, you know, an instruction for her to masturbate to orgasm, which is how seventy percent of all women learn 
to have an orgasm in childhood, but that was a taboo. So that could not be suggested. And again, as I've said, I don't cross those lines uh, because I think there's plenty of ways to get around it. So they practice some touching and stuff like that. But then on the way out about the third session, she stopped me in the hall and she said, um, but we wanted to ask you, what do you think about vibrators? Oh yeah. And I'm like, Oh, we are good to go. You know, because vibrators were invented after her holy scriptures were written. Mm. And so they were completely not inside her her tradition in any way. Yeah. There was no taboo against them, there was no anything. And so it was permissible. Okay. And so I suggested that she had her first orgasm. She's like, "You are so right. It feels so good. There's so much stress relief." I'm like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> you know, and and so she was able to do that. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a way uh, And that was part of like learning though. Like and that is part of like what they had to do really learn what worked for them. Yeah. And and they did they were able to do that within a context of faith that mattered to them. Yeah, so any any other ideas that you have about what these young people could do to get the help that they need to have the fulfillment mm. that really they should have? Yeah, I think that what we've mentioned, I think to, to kind of just summarize those is like really making sure you talk to people, knowing I think ultimately that faith and um, healthy, pleasurable sex can exist that they can be integrated they can go together that they're not mutually thank exclusive. god yeah absolutely thank god it's right <laughs> you know and so that 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 can happen and they, you may just have to explore that and you have may have to be okay with taking steps to try to figure out whether it's talking with somebody at your church and congregation or talking with a therapist like they can be integrated and so exploring yeah. how that how that can yeah. happen for you that's great You are listening to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with sex therapist Lori Watson and couples therapist Dr. Adam Matthews. Thanks so much for listening to our episode on spirituality and sex. Hey, help us stay on top here at Foreplay. We'd love it if you would subscribe and share it with your friends. And please take one sec and rate and review us. Thanks so much. 